Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Matthew Wright Show on Crucible of Broadcast Excellence. Talk Radio. Put it on and keep it on. Too busy to catch us on the afternoons on talk radio. Too many children to care for. Too many jobs to manage. Well, never fear. Help is here in the shape of the Matthew Wright podcast, where we cut down three hours of entertainment and enlightenment every afternoon into tiny bite-sized morsels just for you, you busy so-and-so. So sit back and enjoy the best of the Matthew Wright Show here on talk radio. Well, I said earlier... I mean... And it's a woman and a woman of colour that's subject to such vitriol online. Um, well, one has to take stock of things. But uh, we're talking about our new Attorney General, Suella Braverman. And uh, I said earlier that she sort of set Legal Eagle's eyes rolling with some fairly strong comments. Uh, actually, the comments come from a little while ago uh, in a blog she printed. Uh, and there's fears, I think, that uh, she's claimed the courts have been guilty of a chronic and steady encroachment, essentially, into decisions that should be taken by government. And you will know, of course, that uh, the Prime Minister as a Dominic Cummings and I believe uh, the, the Prime Minister himself were both furious last year uh, when the Supreme Court declared uh, Bojo's prom- attempt to prorogue Parliament was unlawful. And uh, this may lead to, uh, well, fears, I think, within the legal profession that a review of the Human Rights Act that's been promised by Boris could lead to reforms that undermine the independence of the judiciary. And uh, I was looking at some of the... I mean, there are a myriad of of negative comments about uh, Braver Man online, and I was just drawn to this one from a professor of EU law, Steve Pearce, who described how he worked with her on a report uh, that she drafted protecting EU citizens' rights after Brexit... And then having completed the report, uh, he watched a vote against the principle of the very report that she herself had just produced. Um, We've got um, some expert counsel here. Lord Charles Falconer, former Justice Secretary uh, under Labour. He joins us on the line now. Good afternoon to you, sir. Good afternoon, Matthew. Lovely talking to you as well. And I, I hope you'll forgive me at the very end of this interview. We might talk very briefly about uh, the right to die, because I know we share a, a passion for that. Um, yes, I would like that. Do you, do you have concerns about Suella Braverman? Well, I have concerns about the cause that she has espoused, which goes very much in with what the Prime Minister has said about what he wants to do to the courts. I am worried that what she is saying, and this supports what was said in the Conservative Manifesto as well, that they need to curb the court's ability to to strike down unlawful things that the government does. So what she is aiming to do is to cripple the court's ability to say no to things because they are unlawful. The courts don't decide issues on their merits. They only decide whether or not 
the government in doing something is acting within the law, and that is something very different. Is, is the root cause of this our lack of a written constitution, that in essence we rely on our politicians following conventions, and when those conventions uh, are disposed of or fall away or inconvenient, we move into grey areas which naturally lead to courts to rule on? I don't think it is. I think um, the problem is that we rightly, in my view, have parliamentary sovereignty. It's for yes. Parliament to decide everything. Not, it's the politicians, not the judges who decide things. But the politicians have got to act in a way that is not dishonest, not arbitrary, and only in accordance with whatever powers they've got. If you had a written constitution, like you do, for yes. example, in the United States of America, then the judges would be saying, these are the limits of what Parliament can do. And then the judges would be deciding things like abortion or discrimination yes. or the death penalty. And we don't want that. But what we do want, I think, is the judges saying, if, for example, the government closes down Parliament without a reason for four or five weeks, then the judges can say, no, that's not lawful, and you can't do that. What, what powers does the Attorney General or indeed government have uh, to wrest um, powers away from the courts? It doesn't have any power. So, it's so how, how can, how can she bring these reforms rest. through? This is what I, I'm intrigued. How far can she go? What can she do? She can help the government craft legislation, which in effect says, first, there are certain areas where the courts cannot go. So even if the government is acting unlawfully, for example, if the position were that the government passed an act to Parliament saying the courts can't ever challenge prorogation, then the events of September of last year, when the court said it was unlawful to prorogue for five or six weeks, that wouldn't happen in the future. But also what they can do is say, before somebody is appointed to the Supreme Court, then the politicians should have a look at that person and see if they think that person is too much of an activist judge. And if they did that, you would find the judges would start to think about pleasing the politicians in the judgments they gave so that they would get promoted to the Supreme Court. That's a great point, a really troubling point. I suppose it's the independence of the, the judiciary that's been called into question by, by government, last government. Yes, when when you see papers like the Daily Mail coming out with lines like "enemies of the people," um, such a, sort of strong smears against people whose uh, livelihood, whose professional basis is is their independence, and I'm just wondering if we, if there is a better way than we have now to ensure the independence of the, ju the judiciary. Because I think I share your concerns. We don't want to go down the American route of politically appointed judges, do we? No, but I think we've take we in 2005. There was a very substantial reform, which in effect took away from the Lord Chancellor, who's a political appointment, yes. the ability to appoint all the judges, and gave it to an independent judicial appointments commission. So we've taken the steps already to protect the judges. And the judges, when they are giving judgments, what they are most keen to do is to make sure that the, that the lawyers and the other judges think they are acting in accordance with the law. You change that whole approach radically if they know their promotion to a higher court would depend upon what the politicians thought of them. And it would have a very, very bad effect on the way things are. If you take away judicial control of what the executive does, then they wouldn't take any trouble anymore to keep up ethical standards. And individuals would not be protected 
against an abusive state. The Matthew Wright Show on Talk Radio. I, I would contend that when it comes to protecting women and actually increasingly men from domestic abusers, well, it's it's a slow and tricky path to justice and no wonder when we've got major newspapers still indulging in what I would consider victim-blaming. OK, so you've got Geoffrey Boycott's wife, Rachel Boycott, claims the former England captain, cricket captain, was wrongly convicted uh, over allegations he beat up a lover in France. Um, she claims she's got newly uncovered court documents that appear to support Boycott's denial that he punched Margaret Moore during a row in a French hotel back in 1996. Um, it's worth saying that um, that Moore herself, she's called a bunny boiler by, mm. by Rachel Boycott in the paper. I can't even believe that phrase was allowed to go into print. Mm. She has always stood by her story that Sir Geoffrey pinned her down and punched her more than 20 times. Um, what's more, the Daily Telegraph seems incapable of accepting the verdict of the French courts, which I think is an insult to domestic violence victims uh, just about everywhere because they run Mrs Boycott's untested claims. They don't mention the French judge who convicted Boycott of assaulting his girlfriend uh, as, uh, uh, has criticised the decision that the cricketer was knighted and she says she still stands by a decision to find him guilty. So, should he be receiving a knighthood today for services to cricket? I'm going to put that first to Sarah Green from the End Violence Against Women charity. She joins us on the line now. Good afternoon, Sarah. Oh, good afternoon. It's, um, I, I'll be honest, I love my cricket, uh, and Jeffrey Boycott was a good cricketer. Uh, there, are people, cricketer. there are people out there that uh, do terrible things. There's tax avoiders that get uh, knighthoods and such like. But I don't know what I feel here. Point me in the right direction, Sarah. Get my moral compass pointing. I think it's difficult, isn't it? Because we want um, like a public honour system that recognises greatness in all the yes. areas of life that matters, like our arts and our sports. But... As you've already said, we're in a really, really bad place with both domestic violence and sexual violence. And a lot of what's missing isn't simply, you know, more police or more um, kind of uh, systems for sorting it no. out. But the key problem is we do minimise and make excuses for um, controlling behaviour, bullying behaviour, all of the ideas that um, some men have that when they're with somebody, when they're with a woman, they're in charge and she has to, she needs to do what he says. That's the kind of attitude that escalates into abuse and that escalates eventually into murder in, um, you know, yes. at a rate of about two a week. That's the um, figures I was talking about yeah. with your um, producer when we set this up around why are they actually increasing, that the new figures are alarming and we've got to look at the complete lack of leadership on this. So... It's, it's what brings us back, perhaps, to like big art, sport, cultural figures, where if we put them on a pedestal and honour them and celebrate them when there are really serious accusations all the way to convictions yeah. about this behaviour, yeah. those people really shouldn't be on a pedestal and um, shouldn't be honoured. It, it dishonours victims uh, of really serious abuse. My, my, the, where, I'm, where I'm troubled, I suppose, is that mm -hmm. in the real world, there are, I don't think there are any saints, I'm sure the Catholic Church would disagree, everybody at <laughs> times makes mistakes, let themselves down, does the wrong thing. I'm just... If, mm -hmm. if the only mistake Jeffrey Boycott made in his entire life was the one in which he beat Margaret Moore, is that mistake, all those years ago, back in the 80s, I think it was, is that mistake enough to still bar him from being acknowledged as a great cricketer today? That's my last question sure. on boycott to you. Yeah, Sarah. it's a really good question. It's a really good question because I, yeah. I think actually a lot of the discussion about domestic violence and sexual violence is largely police, 
policing. How do we make them, you know, arrest them faster, yes. lock them up faster? Sentences, like we're asked to do comments on sentencing 10 times a week. Yes. And it's really not the point. It doesn't, a lot of it doesn't work. The police systems are not very good and it doesn't deter. What we need is exactly these conversations about who does this and why, because how do they feel about women? And then can they change? Because the answer is, of course, you can be um, like forgiven, as it were, and be um, part of the community and, um, you know, uh, um, be part of what we're all doing together and be part of the change. If you admit what you've done, if you show that you understand why it was bad and why it was harmful, and if you're part of the change. Jeffrey Boycott said on the day his um, knighthood was announced that he couldn't give a toss about people who were criticising it. That's that's not even, even if you were in denial about what you've done, that's really kind of um, a a remark that uh, lacks at least some humility in terms of what we're talking about. So I think, yeah, let's have the conversation about whether people can change. Because while we're also talking about chucking a little bit more money at police, which is what the the government at the moment thinks the answer is, what we don't have is really good research on what works in terms of rehabilitation and change. Because, you know, these, these things are difficult. A lot of women who are with um, men who are known to be abusive, they, they want them to change. They even still sometimes yeah. still love those guys. They want the family to work. They want the children to have them. But we need the real investment in perpetrator work, like good community programs that actually have got a really good evidence base and where we know that people can change and that families can be safe. And actually, it's, um, it's under-promoted. The, kind of the, some, some parts of the press and politics don't like it when you talk about rehabilitation, even though this is a totally different kind of yeah. change than for other crime types. And we're not getting anywhere on what actually works. The Matthew Wright Show on Talk Radio. I want to look at uh, homeopathy again and uh, a devastating, ru- devastating ruling by a government watchdog that's basically ordering homeopaths to stop peddling treatments for autism. Now, we've seen loads of stories over the years about these quack cures, but never before has the Society of Homeopaths, which adds that veneer of respectability to the profession, never before has the Society of Homeopaths been put under the cosh like this. They've been given three months to withdraw adverts for bogus cures for autism, specifically what is known as cease therapy, cease trades uh, on the lie that autism is caused by vaccines and supposedly involves the removal of toxic imprints uh, using uh, vitamin supplements and other unproven fixes. And the fools who push these lies say you can protect children from autism by avoiding things like microwaves, antibiotics and bread. I kid you not. Experts, of course, will tell you, and they'll stress that autism is not a disease, and that CEASE, which stands for Complete Elimination of Autistic Spectrum Expression, has no scientific credibility whatsoever, which will also explain why some are asking why the Professional Standards Authority watchdog accredits the Society of Homeopaths full stop. Uh, joining us on the line to discuss first is, um, is Emma Dalmain. She's an autism advocate and activist against all autistic mistreatments. And I'm delighted to say Emma's on the line now. Good afternoon to you. Good afternoon. Um, I'm guessing that you must be, uh, in one sense, that this is a good news story, but it does carry that caveat that the uh, Society of Homeopaths um, is still on the, the register of, of, of approved organisations. It has that, that bonus. Well, it shouldn't, should it? I mean, at the end of the day, homeopathy is basically sugar pills. And uh, complete um, decease recommends high levels of different vitamins, and it can be fatal. You know, it can is that kill. Right? 
Oh, is, yes. I, I, oh, just, yeah. I just assumed that this was literally just one step up from giving kids Smarties and telling them it was going to sort them out. Oh, no, I'll tell you why it's so dangerous. You've got parents who, and it's not only autism that's being targeted, it's diseases like cancer. So you've got parents that are using these treatments and turning away from um, medically approved, scientifically proven, regulated, prescribed treatments, I mean, which I... is obviously very dangerous. And when you give that negative rhetoric um, message that autism can be cured yes. or purged or healed, it's sending the ver- a very bad message. That, that autism parents. itself is bad, evil and needs to be rid of. Well, yeah. Yes. I mean, if you follow the facts which is Andrew Wakefield's yes. uh, campaign and, and films. Um, homeopathists say that um, autism is uh, heavy metal poisoning, so you have to do a heavy metal detox. They will also say that if their methods don't work, which they wouldn't, they wouldn't work to do anything anyway, not that children um, and autistic adults have heavy metal poisoning. But if, if it was heavy metal poisoning, the next thing that they would recommend would be collation which killed a British child in 2005 in the US. What, what, is, what is that? A chelation, which is where they use... Um, he had IV chelation, so it's a, it's a proven medical treatment for um, people that have been working down mines and things like right. that. Yeah, and uh, it releases chelators into the blood, which latch onto any sort of metal. It doesn't discriminate, right. so it will take away calcium, zinc, iron, and it will deplete the sources of the body completely. So the child who Gosh. died died of hypoclaxemia, which I, was caused by the yeah. I mean, uh, th- th- he was autistic. I mean, if you set this against a backdrop, I I, I gave it a cursory glance. I, I I can remember seeing, and in fact, I checked. I've since seen uh, homeopathic autistic cure stories going back to 2012, and from mm-hmm. memory, they go back far, far, far longer than that. And here we are in 2020. And it strikes me that the, the, the strongest sort of caveat handed down so far is that, is that the Society of Homeopaths mustn't advertise for these, you know, quack snake oil cures um, and uh, needs to get their act together within three months. It doesn't particularly sound uh, like uh, the hardest uh, of lines. No. Anything that, uh, anybody who's touting cease or saying that autism can be cured, purged or healed, I believe should be prosecuted. Do you get frustrated that... <laughs> Parents I'm buy sorry, I'm laughing because I've been doing this for five years. Well, I totally get it. Emma. I totally get mm-hmm. it. But I, I guess in one sense, we were, we were talking about vitamin drips the other day with Dr. Ellie Cannon, an NHS GP, and we were asking why anybody in their right mind would pay £225 to have a multivitamin drip, which Dr. Ellie Cannon said equated to two glasses of slightly salty water and a vitamin tablet. I mean, in cost, in actual cost, if you did it yourself, you could probably have the same treatment for under a penny, and yet people paid yeah. £225. I, I'm sitting thinking... I can appreciate if, I mean, some of my friends have children on the spectrum and Mm. maybe they want to do something about it and do what they think will improve that child's sort of life outcomes. But I just can't believe that parents in the digital age when they can look and check things up online are paying for these treatments. And this is the problem, they're checking things up online and not listening to professionals. You know, and one of the first things as a parent, I'm a parent of autistic children, I'm autistic myself. And one of the first things you do when you hear that your child may be autistic is go and Google. And straight away up comes heavy metal poisoning, ABA, which is a compliance-based training program. You know, it's all very negative and parents do want to help their children. You know, they do believe that these things are credible. 
and they're not going to their you know, registered GPs and saying, can I give my child this? Should this be used? They're just going ahead because they are told that their GPs work for Big Pharma. I don't believe anything that the GPs tell you because they don't want you to heal your child. As you relay this, and I've had people relay this in all seriousness rather than a sort yeah. of sense of parity, you just, I mean, I, there's, I, I, I just... The idea that doctors don't want to help your child and some quack can come up with, a, with you know, fake evidence to win you round. I just don't understand how any parent falls for it. And if you enjoyed all of that, make sure you tune in to The Matthew Wright Show with Kevin O'Sullivan every weekday from 1 on Talk Radio. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.